In the cybersecurity profession, we look to the ongoing war between Russia and Ukraine to understand the evolution of threat in cyberspace. Russia has been honing its hybrid warfare tactics for over a decade, preparing for its present war with Ukraine and its larger confrontation with NATO. I'm Dr. Tamara Schwartz, and on this episode of WMD, I'll be exploring the recent history of Russian hybrid warfare and its confrontation with NATO. So Russia's conflict with NATO, has it doesn't just start today. It doesn't even just start back in 2014. Um, in fact, one could argue that it never ended just because the wall came down and the Warsaw Pact fell apart. Um, but we begin to see Russia rising from the ashes, so to speak, and beginning to take on NATO's expansion in 2007. So in 2004, Estonia became a part of, of NATO. And in 2007, when Estonia decided to move a Soviet-era statue, the bronze soldier of Tallinn, was relocated, that became, that, that became a, an affront to Russia. And so we saw the first use of cyber warfare, cyber attack, as a nation-state action. And so they were attacking the banks, the ministries, the newspapers, broadcasters. And it was all about the fact that Russia did not like the relocation of this statue. The following year, Georgia began exploring membership in NATO. And there was a, a uh, NATO summit in early April. Specifically, it was on the 2nd and the 4th of April, 2nd to the 4th of April. And during the NATO summit, Georgia was exploring NATO membership and there was no decision about this, but on the 11th of April, so just about a week after the, the summit ended, um, someone from Russia spoke out and said, you know, if you decide to join NATO, there there's going to be a problem. We're going to have a serious problem. And the conversations, Georgia continued to express interest in becoming part of NATO. And in August, we have the beginning of the Russian-Georgian War. And it started again with cyber attacks. And the cyber attacks included attacking government websites. It included um, orchestrating narratives to, to justify Russia going into Ossetia. And so the cyber attack was used as what we call intelligence preparation of the battlefield. So again, orchestrating cyber threat and cyber attack in order to make it difficult for the government to rally and and for people to know what to do and where to go and to be informed at prior to going in on the ground. Now that didn't last for very long. Um, Georgia is still not a member of NATO, so one might say that it was a successful a successful incursion. And it was again, it was the beginning of experimenting with hybrid warfare techniques. Russia has continued to hone those techniques. And now when we talk about trying to figure out what is the next major threat in cyberspace, those of us in the cybersecurity community often point at the ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine. So 2014, we saw the use of little green men. We saw little green men are the, are the, the guys that were looked like soldiers, but didn't have any sort of national identity on them. And so were identified as identified by Russia in Russian narratives as pro-Russian separatists who were living in Ukraine. 
in Crimea specifically. And we all know what happened. But then we've sort of not been paying attention to what has continued to go on. And, and by we, I mean the general public. Um, Russia never stopped attacking Ukraine. Some of the attacks that happened on Ukraine, it, it, there's been a ton of cyber warfare messing up the Ukrainian economy, messing up the Ukrainian power grid, that sort of thing. And so so we've even heard about um, recently, I think there was a report on um, maybe Fox News about a, a type of malware called Black Energy 3. And we know that Black Energy 3 has made its way into American infrastructure. Um, Black Energy 3 was used in 2015 to shut down the power grid in Kiev. And the it was only off for a couple of hours, um, but the way it worked was the, the malware came in through... Uh, through through a, a phishing attack, a spear phishing attack, it was embedded in some sort of Microsoft document, and you had to click on the document. And and what operators who were working in those those uh, power distribution facilities described was looking at their their uh, display and seeing their cursor move around the screen of its own volition. So if you think about um, maybe you've called a help desk at some point, and they've said, "Do you mind?" Um, letting me have access to your computer, go click on this capability. And maybe it's from your organization and that capability for remoting in is already installed, or maybe it is um, you have the misfortune of encountering somebody uh, who's who's a, uh, a fraudster who's trying to gain access to your bank accounts. Um, but they'll remote into your 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 uh, terminal, they'll go in and they'll begin to move the cursor around and they'll it's very unnerving if you if you um, have seen this done and you're like, I'm not in control and what's all this stuff happening? And so that's what was going on. And the they sat there at their terminals, unable to use their own controllers and just watching the mouse move around on the screen, turning off, uh, turning off the electricity, opening various breakers, closing various things. And the only way they were able to turn it on, turn the power back on, was to send human beings out to the various facilities and manually move the switches back to where they were supposed to be. So that happened in December of 2015. A year later, in December of 2016, we saw an improvement on black energy. The next version, and again, they only turned the power off for about an hour. And and what's the value of turning off the power? Well, it's intimidation. It's um, scaring the public. It, it, in doing it in December in Ukraine, it made it very cold. And if it had stayed off for a long period of time, you would have probably seen people dying from from cold. You would have seen an impact to hospitals being able to respond to crises and, and whatnot. And, and this is where we talk about cascading effects when we begin to talk about, about cyber attack. And, and when do you know if a cyber attack is an act of war? Um, because acts of war have largely been defined based on kinetic weaponry. Um, but the power of cyber attacks, something like turning off the electric grid, could result in cascading effects depending on how long the power grid is turned off for. Because a non-kinetic attack, a cyber attack where you're turning things off, unless you're blowing things up, um, generally people can, can go out and manually do something to override the computer systems. Um, but in 2016, crash override was the new version of Black Energy 3. And where Black Energy 3 was individuals 
Um, so if 20 terminals were taken on, taken over, that took 20 people to be driving them. Crash override improved on that. Crash override automated the manipulation of the, of the power distribution controls through the software. So it didn't, so one person could attack multiple software distribution terminals versus, and multiple parts of the grid. So, so you could have the same number of attackers that you had in 2015, but you could attack a far larger area. Um, crash override was configurable based on which type of, of infrastructure and which type of in, industrial control systems were in place. And so crash override was a giant wake-up call for those of us in the West. Um, yes, we saw Black Energy 3 happen. Yes, we saw Black Energy 3 wind up in American infrastructure and Black Energy 3 was definitely concerning, but crash override is even more frightening because it's configurable based on the different type of infrastructure in place. So Black Energy could really only attack one type of infrastructure, Crash override can attack multiple kinds, can be configurable, and the attack is automated. And so that makes it a much bigger threat. So again, we see the honing of tools. There's a, there's a learning that takes place. We experiment. We see the experiment with Black Energy 3. We see the improvement and the growth of the threat through crash override. So we've 2014. They take Crimea, 2015, we see the power get turned off in Ukraine. 2016, we see it turned off through automated software. And now we know these, these, this software, this malware is out here in the West. And then in 2017, we see the NotPetya attack. Petya, if you recall, this was, um, it looked like ransomware, but it was not ransomware. Uh, the reason we know it wasn't ransomware, we, the reason we learned that it was not um, organized crime, so to speak, and that it was a nation state attack was that when you tried to pay the ransom to get the decryption de decryption information, you could pay the money and you never got anything in, in response. And, and I think in some cases you couldn't even figure out how to pay the money because it, it was masquerading as ransomware from a criminal syndicate, but it was actually intended as a as as an attack. As a as a nation state attack, so an organized crime, the whole purpose is that they're monetizing cyber attack. In statecraft, the reason for cyber attack is is related to um, military power or or having governmental power, political power over another country. Um, and so we see this this not petty attack going. Now the not petty attack, for those of you who are unfamiliar with it, it looked to be like ransomware. And it was delivered all over the Ukrainian the the Ukrainian nation. It was it was in the banks. It was in the transportation networks. It was in the government. It was everywhere. But unlike with a kinetic attack, where collateral damage is who's in the bomb radius, collateral damage in cyberspace is not contained by a blast radius because there are no boundaries in cyberspace, and. So NATO was hit by this. We, and if you, you're not sure if NATO was hit by it, ask Merck Pharmaceuticals, ask Maersk, the, the supply chain logistics company, ask Mondelez, they make your, uh, your Cadbury cream eggs. And I guess with Easter coming up, that would be, um, that would be something that you would think about. So, so com companies in the West, Western nations, 
member nations of NATO were struck by a Russian attack. And that attack was the 2017 NotPetya ransomware. So the way that it wound up going from Ukraine to us was that, for, and I'm just going to give you one story, um, but again, there's no, no boundaries in cyberspace. Um, Maersk, they had a, a port city, um, I believe it's Odessa, and one of, their, one of their folks in their finance department wanted to install a type of software used in Ukraine, uh, similar to in the United States, we use uh, TurboTax or we use Quicken. Um, it was called ME-DOCS. And ME-DOCS was the, the, basically the Ukrainian equivalent of the tax and accounting softwares that we use here in the US. And it was a supply chain attack. The software, the malware, not petty malware, was injected through um, an update to ME-DOCS, an automatic update. It used uh, some of the, the, uh, the tools and weapons that were developed by the NSA that were stolen by the shadow brokers hack. So the shadow brokers stole tools from the NSA. They released them uh, through WikiLeaks. Those tools were then used by North Korea in the WannaCry ransomware attack. They were then honed for the NotPetya attack. And then the NotPetya attack allow, was, was launched through ME-DOCS into Ukraine because this is where, you know, this was a software that everyone in Ukraine used, or not everyone, but most businesses most anybody that was doing accounting was using this. And so one one person in Maersk, which is not a Ukrainian company, it's it's a Danish company, if you're not familiar, um, but they were doing business in Ukraine. And so one individual in the organization asked to have this special software in, uh, installed on his laptop. Imagine that one person's decision to have software that was not consistent with the rest of the company infrastructure provided a door for a Russian nation state cyber weapon to get access to 20% of the world's supply chain. One decision to install soft, specialized software on one device. And if, you, if you're familiar with, uh, with Wired Magazine, there's a great article by, I think it's Andy Greenberg in uh, 2017 or 2018, where he talks about what un how this attack unfolded throughout Maersk and Fortunately for Maersk, they there was a random power outage in, on the continent of Africa in the in the nation of Ghana that preserved one server in their infrastructure, and that one server was the key to to being able to recover quickly. But even that, it still took them a, a about two two or three weeks to get um, to get off their knees. But at one point, all their ports were closed down. Uh, they didn't know what cargo was anywhere. They couldn't take new orders. But 20% of the world's supply chain, and it was a Danish company, so again, part of NATO. Um, Estonia in 2007 was part of NATO when they, when they, were, when they were hacked. Um, the NotPetya attack went all over the world. Merck Pharmaceuticals is one. Um, Mondelez is a British company. Uh, FedEx had, had a, a, a subsidiary that, that was damaged significantly. Um, I think Maersk talks about... I think their published number is about $300 million of damage. Um, Mondelez is about $100 million. Uh, Merck Pharmaceuticals, it took them over six months to recover. And then they went and filed insurance claims because, you, of course, you buy cyber insurance so that if you are 
the victim of a cyber attack that you have coverage. But here's the thing. As with all insurance policies, there was a caveat. You could only receive reimbursement for your, your through your insurance if you could if it, you know the caveat was if this was an act of war, the policy was canceled. And so these companies were not able to to make insurance claims because it was an act of war. Well, it was an act of war Russia against Ukraine that wound up attacking a bunch of NATO NATO countries as well and other countries, um, non-NATO countries. But the point being that cyber doesn't have boundaries. And so when we look at the conflict going on right now and we're worrying about whether Russia has, has gotten into conflict with NATO, Russia has been in conflict with NATO states for a while now. But the, the interesting thing about how Russia does this and this goes to attribution, right? How do you do attribution in cyberspace? Um, one of the power, one of the, the, the strategies we see the Russian nation state use is that they partner up with the Russian organized crime. And so the partnership between organized crime and the nation state allows the nation state plausible deniability. Oh, that was not that was not an act of war because it was just those bad criminals in our country. And that was all the criminals behavior. They made those choices. So the whole cyber warfare piece is very murky. And I guess the reason that I decided to talk to you all about this today was just to to have you thinking about where we are in the confrontation between the, this new, you know, we're hearing it's a new Cold War. Um, maybe not so new. Anyway, food for thought. Join me next time on WMD. And until then, if you find yourself rafting in the VUCA mountains and someone accuses you of rocking the boat, get out, lace up your boots, and use your paddle as a walking stick. We'll see you next time. WMD, Weapons of Mass Disruption, is produced by me, Chris Perez, and all rights reserved to Dr. Tamara Schwartz. You may access this podcast free of charge on any of your preferred platforms or by visiting us at lomrai.com. That is L-L-A-M-R-A-I dot com.